We're going to continue in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Today we're going to go over the last three core values of the kingdom. We've been working slowly through those and emphasizing the, what's known as the Beatitudes because they're the foundational concepts from which the rest of the Sermon on the Mount uh, springs from. And so uh, we've been focusing um, and taking our time on these thoughts I think after we wrap these up, I'll do you know, a few more uh, messages on, on the key thoughts through the Sermon on the Mount. But um, every time I reapproach this study, it's just so rich. And, uh, and uh, again, this morning, it's, it's no difference. I want to start off with a story. Uh, last night, my, my children, they, just, they love to... Uh, well, they, they love anything we do together, but they, they really love if we um, pull out old home movies and watch, you know, the times when they were little. And so they'll, they'll request that. They'll say, can we watch family movies? Can we watch family movies? And so uh, last night we, we pulled out some old family movies and, and we watched the, uh, the time when my boys were one, three, and five. And so those are some pretty cute ages. Got a lot of extra little baby fat, chubby cheeks. Can't, you don't speak quite clearly, whatever, how they speak like that. And, and it's, it's just cute, you know. And, um, and they're just laughing. They're just, you know, watching themselves. And, there's, you know, we wake them up in the morning. They're just struggling to get up. And they're two and three. And it's just so cute. And Christmases and birthdays and just sweet, sweet times. And, um, and I'm sitting there, and, uh, and I say this out of my mouth. I say, you know, I cannot remember that at all. And uh, I, I go, I remember uh, my son wearing that outfit. I remember him wearing that outfit, but I don't remember anything else about this. And I'm realizing that the, most of what I'm watching, I don't remember. And uh, it's, like, it's like watching somebody else's deal. Now, you know, I'll remember this thing maybe in that little point, and and that little event, but I mean, the, the, the details and what's being said on moment by moment, I just, it's just not in my memory, you know. And in, a, in, in one flash, in one instant, I realized this. There's going to be a day where the entirety of the snapshots, all the home movies of my life are going to play before me. I'm going to stand before the Lord. And I don't know how he's going to download it, but we're going to see all of it. And it, in an instant, I went, oh my goodness. Because I realized, not only can I not remember what's going on, uh, all those times that I don't remember the details, all the little idiosyncrasies, those are going to be the, the story that I'm ultimately judged on. It's not going to be mostly about the times I stood on a platform. Um, I won't be primarily judged for my best moment or the moment I, I spent in front of the most people. I'm going to be primarily judged for the story of my life, the little day in and day out things where I, where I either chose to live by the values of the kingdom or just lived my own way. I'm going to be mostly judged by that broad story that I mostly cannot remember. And I just, I, for a moment, I felt that tremble 
You know, that, that, that tremble of the fear of the Lord on me. Because, you know, we remember in snapshots, but there's a whole movie. You know, there's a 40-year movie for me. Do you know what I'm saying? 24 hours a day, 40 years. That's a, that's a long movie. That's called my life, your life too. And I just, it just gripped me once again how it's so essential that we live day in and day out for the pleasures of the Lord. We live day in and day out by the values of the kingdom. It's so essential that we get the, the, the grid that it's not mostly about our best time and not mostly about our worst moment. Those tend to be the ones we remember. It's mostly about the 95% of mundaneness that takes place, you know, the rest of our life that tells the story of our life. And that, beloved, is why we've got to get a value system that's equivalent to Jesus' value system. We've got to get a cultural identity that sustains the way we live day in and day out because there's a day coming when the movie is going to be played. And I imagine in that day we'll have perfect recall. You know, our mind will go, oh, I remember that clearly. Oh, I remember that clearly. And, um, you know, ouch, if it's like, oh, no, not this scene. You know what I mean? Here comes the scene. You know what was said. You know what was done. You, uh, you know, it's like, oh, it's like if you've ever watched a movie twice and you know where the, like the intense part is, you're like, oh, here it comes. I mean, can you imagine perfect recall, the movie of your life, you know there's real issues in certain areas and you're at the judgment seat and it's being replayed in front of you. I'm not just talking about, you know, the out and out, you know, rebellion, sin style stuff. I'm talking about just stuff that you can just get by day in and day out where you didn't choose kindness where you didn't choose meekness. You know, the moment where you, where you were unfaithful and nobody was looking. That, beloved, I felt it. I felt it. I'm watching myself in these movies and I'm going, I don't remember any of this. There's a lot of life that you don't remember the details of and all of it goes into the pot. And we're going to give an account for it. All the secrets of men's hearts will be revealed. Now, under the blood of Jesus, the sentence of death that is required of sin is taken care of. But there is still much to gain and much to lose at the judgment seat of Christ. Even to this level that there will be those that it says they suffer loss, though they're saved. They live a life saved by fire. That's not talking about somebody else out there. That's going to be real people who really have that experience. So I am freshly aware of the necessity of these values. And I want to, with a tremble in my own heart, I want to adjure you. I'm saying, come on. Let's do this. Let's live this way. Let's fall in love with Jesus and allow these values to dictate the actions of our life. Day in and day out, when nobody's looking, that's when it matters. 
That's what Jesus said. He goes, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And so that's not mostly played out on the platform in front of the masses. That's mostly played out in private with no one looking, no one paying attention. But he's paying attention. The video camera's rolling. All right, so today we're going to deal with the last three core values, Matthew 5, 8, 9, and we're going to go 10 through 12. So let's just read them. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We just got to keep reading because he gives us a couple supporting thoughts. And he, he makes it personal. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Wow. All right, let's start with verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, customarily, when um, I hear this verse preached, it's, it tends to be in a context to a message on sexual purity, which I appreciate. I appreciate all calls uh, that go forth calling uh, people to live righteously and holy in the area of sexual purity. I believe that's critical, especially in the day and the hour in which we live. However... The phrase is actually about being pure in heart. And, and though I understand that if you're impure in your heart, it will translate into impure actions, this has got a deeper idea behind it than simply just the issue of sexual purity or sexual immorality. And so the, the issue here as it relates to purity of heart, blessed are the pure in heart, this issue is primarily about the motivations Internally, that move you to do what you do, say what you say, and live the way you live throughout your life. The internal motivators, the purity of heart has to do with who internally, who you're doing what you're doing, who you're doing it for. Are you living with something motivating you that's primarily for your own pleasure, preference, promotion? Or is there a motivation inside that's primarily about the beauty and the glory of God and expressing and extending His love to others? Purity in heart has everything to do with motives because those motives will dictate whether or not the actions are pure. Look, The action might look right, but it can be completely impure. It can be the right action for the wrong motive, and the wrong motive makes the right action wrong. Did you catch that? It can be the right thing. Let me give you an example. You can come and you can serve in the the church. You can be the number one you know, servant in the church, you can say, I'm going to do this and that. I'm going to, I'll clean the toilets. 
I'll, I'll, you know, I'll paint everything, I'll, I'll do all this. But if the motivation of the heart is for the praise of men, for your own platform and your own uh, position, then though the serving, though it's a good thing and a right thing to do, the impure motive, it makes the serving wrong. And that, beloved, is critical. And here's why. Who can tell? Who can tell? You know what I'm saying? The Lord is the one that knows the hearts. The Spirit is the one that knows what's working in the heart of men. No human really knows what's going on in the heart of another. We get, it, we get the information wrong all the time. And that's why Jesus' admonition regarding judgment in Matthew 7 is so clear. He goes, it's always a speck in your eye and it's always a log in there. I mean, it's always a log in your eye and it should always be a speck in there. We tend to get it backwards. We go, it's always a speck in my eye and a log in theirs. He goes, no, no, no. You always have a log. They always have a speck. It's because we don't tend to have the right information. We don't, for sure, we don't have all of God's information. He's got all the information, you know what I'm saying? And so who can know? Who can know the motive of a human's heart? Who can know why they're doing what they're doing? I find often we'll assess something, people's actions and motives, and oftentimes we get in division and we get in strife with people because we've assessed their heart and we don't know what's going on in their heart. You ever done that and you got, in a, you got in a problem with somebody, you assessed their heart and you got it all wrong? You're just wrong. You, just, you thought they were doing it for this reason, but they were really doing it for that reason and you just, whoops. The Lord is the one that knows what's going on inside. You can fool everybody, but you can never fool him. And so, this issue of purity of heart it begins, this is critical, it begins with honesty. Being honest about the internal reality of you. Being honest. That, beloved, can be painful. Because being honest about what's going on inside is scary. Let's be honest. If you had a video screen, that transmitted every thought on your forehead. <laughs> Everything that goes through here got printed out right there. How would that go for you? <laughs> Do you like my dress? Uh-huh. Ugly. <laughs> I'm... <laughs> That would be like real difficult. Because the truth of who we are inside, no one ever sees it. So we all are professionals about cleaning it up. Come on. Tidying it up, making it look presentable. Now there's just times when things, you know, you're going to have a, a thought or two on the inside. You're not going to agree with somebody and you're just not going to, you know, always tell somebody, I just don't agree with you everything, every single time. You're just going to kindness say okay and just move on and, and just agree to disagree. And that's fine. But there are all sorts of things that go on on the inside of us that really determine the real us. 
And a lot of times what we tend to do is we compartmentalize our inner life. We imagine ourselves to be, you know, a certain way. But if the truth of everything that was in our heart was exposed, reality would come to meet our fantasy and the reality would fully overpower it. And that's why he says, Paul says in Romans 2, the judgment of God will be according to truth. And nobody's going to be able to talk their way out of the reality of their inner life. So purity in heart starts with being honest about who you are on the inside. And that, beloved, requires Holy Spirit's help. It requires the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to us honestly and truthfully. And He always is. He's the Spirit of truth. But to speak to us about the reality of who we are inside. Do we carry self-righteous judgment? Do we carry slander, accusation, hurt, offense? Do we carry impurity and perversion? Do we carry around a whole you know, laundry list of things that we, that we focus on internally, that we entertain on the inside, and maybe you never practice it. But what's the internal reality? Ultimately, if somebody meditates on a certain thing long enough, that's what they will practice. It's what they'll say and it's what they'll do. But in the church, we're kind of professionals about only letting the good stuff out And just sort of keeping the sour stuff hidden. The pure in heart will see God. And so this thing is, it's pervasive. It covers all of our life. And it's a a huge deal. It begins with honesty about the internal reality of our life. And it's a recognition of this. Pure in heart is a recognition that that's ultimately what God is after. He's after truth on the inside. It's Psalm 51 when David is coming and he's repenting to the Lord and he's, he's getting honest about his sin and getting open about it and, and, and you know, pouring his heart out before God. He says, he goes, you desire truth in the inner parts. And the issue I'll tell you with David is this. As it is with virtually every sin, it's not something that tends to happen on the spur of the moment. It's something that was birthed on the inside, entertained and cultivated for quite some time. And then it actually came to manifestation at a time later. And that's why purity in heart is so critical. It's really the the, the key issue that Jesus dealt with the Pharisees about. He was very strong with them in Matthew 23. He rebukes them for a whole chapter. And he gives sort of a summary statement in verse 25. He says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. If you deal with, the point he's making is, if you deal with the inner issues of purity, it will compel all of your actions. 
Your outside will be clean also if you deal with the inside. But the Pharisees were primarily concerned with the external issues and they didn't deal with the internal issues. And so what they ended up doing was keeping the law to a T, but what they would do was interpret the law to make room for their sin and so they could keep the law perfectly according to their interpretation while internally they were completely full of, of, of wickedness. For instance, the law of adultery and divorce. Jesus said, you know, you were given the opportunity to have a, a, a certificate of divorce because of the hardness of your heart. From the beginning, it wasn't like that. And what the Pharisees had done was this. They had come up with a law that said you can divorce your spouse, marry a prostitute, have sex with the prostitute, divorce her, and then remarry your spouse, and you've kept the law perfectly. And that's why he says what he says here. And they would say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you to their spouse. They'd say, I marry you, I marry you, I marry you to the prostitute. And then when they were done, they would have divorced the prostitute and go back and marry the spouse. And that's why Jesus has to re-up the whole teaching on divorce and marriage. And adultery. And he, and, he, and he ups the stakes with him. He says, this thing is not primarily about the external, but if a man looks on a woman to lust after her with his own heart, he's committed the act himself. The internal. This, beloved, is huge. It is a huge deal. Because we will go around keeping our happy Christian face on all the while harboring and entertaining all sorts of garbage on the inside. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, I, and I, I'm not sitting here with a finger pointing at anybody. I'm going, Lord, oh, the internal, oh, Jesus, help. Now, here's the thing. The word is specifically crafted to deal with the thoughts and the intents of our heart. The word deals with our motives. That's, that's one of the chief purposes of the scripture. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. You know the verse. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The Word deals with all this. Now here's how you know. Here's how it works. You're going, Lord, try my motives. And you go, show me my motives. And what he'll do is he'll bring the Word to you front and center. The word is the standard that discerns, that that identifies for us the truth of what's working in our heart. Are we working? Do we have things working in us that are for the blessing, benefit, the love, and the service of others to love Jesus and bless others without any thought for our own promotion? Or are we doing things for ourselves ultimately to get up, to get ahead, to, to move forward, to get a better title, platform, position, praise from men? I was thinking this morning on the way in, you have 
a wide open audience with God who rules the universe and turns the hearts of kings. And I was thinking about how often people will spend so much time rubbing shoulders with a person that they think can help move them forward. Trying to get an audience with somebody, you know, well-known or wealthy or whatever. When God is the one who turns the hearts of every king and you're welcomed in. You're invited into it, to his presence. You have an audience with him. He's the one that will position you wherever he wants you, beloved. I'm not saying he doesn't create divine relationships. He does. It's, it's you know, there's, there's human nec- uh, uh, networking with, with sweat equity and trying to make a name for yourself. And then there's prophetic networking. And if you'll give your heart to the Lord... Focus on loving him and your audience with him. I guarantee you, he will connect you to whoever he wants to connect you to. I guarantee you. And so often we spend all the time looking for the human to promote us when we need to be giving our heart to the Lord and allow the promotion to come from him. So the word, it operates as this It operates as this discerner, this discerner of our thoughts and our intents. But here's how it works. It's not only a standard that we are able to look at our lives and and identify where we are at and what we're doing by it. It It also moves our hearts to embrace the standard. What I mean is this. It's not just a thermometer that shows us our temperature. It's actually a thermostat. It actually changes the temperature of our heart. The word discerns the thoughts and the intents of our heart. It shows us where we're at compared to what the standard of the word is, but it also will move us. It will move the the activity of our inner life into compliance with itself. It's not just the thermometer, it's a thermostat. It changes the temperature on the inside of us. And I realize this, beloved, we have at our disposal the scripture. It's the only book that's alive. It's the only book that's alive. It's the word, and Jesus is the word made flesh. It is the, I mean, it is the escort into him. It's a living, active word. It has eternal value. It's God-breathed, God-inspired. We have this word, and if we will digest this word, it will change us. And the key is this. If we will go after the word, our inner life will be transformed. And what we've got to get is this. The amount of time we uh, spend digesting all sorts of other things, you know, I mean, just entertainment and media and stuff in life, and it steals from our time of digesting the word, therein comes to bear our responsibility for dealing with the purity of our heart. You want your heart cleansed? Let the word cleanse you. If you look at your life right now and you go, oh, my inner life, it's a wreck. 
Get in the Word. Devour the Word. I mean, just start devouring it. If you're concerned right now about the inner issues as I'm talking, if you're concerned about the purity of your heart, the Word. Get in the Word. And let the Word cleanse you. Get washed with the water of the Word. And it will transform the motivations of your heart. Seriously, I'm not sitting here going, you're dead. I mean, your inner, your inner issues are so bad and you're dead and there's no help. No, I'm saying, hey, our inner issues all need some help, big time help. The word will wash us. It will transform us. It will cleanse us. It's living. It's active. It's sharp. It'll cut stuff off that doesn't need to be there. It will expose us. It will show us the standard and transform us. How can a man keep his way pure? Keeping it according to the Word. We've got to put the Word center and get focus on the Word. Jesus is the Word. Jesus in the Word and allowing Jesus to transform our life through His Word. Man, I'm preaching way better than y'all are amen. I mean, just... <laughs> I mean, seriously. I, I want a pure inner life. I want a pure heart before God. There's a day where every thought, every motive is going to be exposed. I can't bear to think about what that day will be like if I've lived a life of laziness in the word and allowed the impurity and poor motivations of my flesh and heart to just abide without them being Transformed by the scripture. Oh, beloved, the pure in heart will see him. We're going to see him. And what I was realizing is, if you're you're dull in the word, every other area of your life, it lacks clarity. If you're dull in the word, every other area of life is blurry. But if if you're in the word and there's a fresh touch of your heart in the word, it's like every other area of life begins to get clear. You see God in life instead of losing perspective and focus. I had a friend, he had a dream. I'm just going to end this part with this little story. He had a dream, and uh, in the dream, he's at the judgment seat of the Lord, and there's a line in front of him. And there's some sort of. Uh, angelic scribe or somebody there that's actually uh, dividing out the issues of people's hearts and, and a person will walk up or their lives and a person will walk up and will have these stacks of books. The, 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 the messenger will bring out these stacks of books and, and start to talk to the person that's there in front of the desk about what's in the books. And my friend is watching, as, I mean, this person after person and all these books and, the, and he's, the, the angel is working through these books with the individual. And so my friend comes up to the, to the desk and he, and he pulls out the books and he, and, he, and he says to him, he goes, how's it look? He goes, well, and it's just a stack of books. He goes, well, this isn't so bad. That's what the angel says to him. And my friend goes, oh, good. You know, he goes, it's actually, it's actually pretty good. He goes, but this is just the external issues. We're going to have to deal with all the internal issues as well. And beloved, 
my friend's heart in the dream dropped because he recognized how much emphasis we focus on polishing the outside of the cup and not dealing with the purity or the impurity in our soul. Blessed are the pure in heart. They're going to see God. I want to live with a life of pure motives before God. I want to live for the beauty and the glory of Jesus. I want to put down my own preference and live for His praise. Pure in heart. Pure in heart. All right. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In the past when I've taught this, I've emphasized heavily the issue of actually being a reconciler and, and dealing with you know, people who are in challenging situations and, and going into those situations and helping to, to bring reconciliation. I think that the, the issue of reconciliation is important. Um, I think there's a vast difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. You know, one that keeps the peace never says anything that's going to upset the apple cart. One who makes peace will go in and speak truth and love and help, you know, bring reconciliation. And I still think that the core issue here at hand is reconciliation. But I think it's far more than sort of, you know, becoming a mediator and helping people that are at odds with each other sort of, you know, love each other again. No, I think it, it could apply to that. I think this is primarily talking about what we see in Jesus as the peacemaker. Jesus Christ is the one who brought peace between God and man by laying down his life. Giving himself for others. And I believe that this issue of being a peacemaker has to do primarily with living the cross. Laying your life down for the benefit of others. Colossians 1.20 says this, And by him, to reconcile all things to himself, this is the plan of the Father, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace... Through the blood of his cross. Jesus Christ goes to the cross, sheds his blood, and creates an avenue of peace for those that are in enmity with God. The peacemaker, what he does is he goes in through life and lays his life down on behalf of others, ultimately unto that person being reconciled to God. The peacemaker ministry is the ministry that we've all got. It's called, by Paul, the ministry of reconciliation. And this has all, I mean, so much to do with loving and giving and serving and going the extra mile even when you don't want to. For the blessing of others and even, even to this place, to their salvation. It's the best biblical chapter on being a peacemaker. You, you got the 2 Corinthians 5. That's a good one. 5 through whatever it is, 22 or 24 at the end of the chapter. That's a good one. To me, though, Romans 8 is even better. Romans 8 is the exposition on being a peacemaker. And what it essentially talks about is this. Crucifying the flesh, living by the Spirit... So you can operate as one who's led by the Spirit, 
which ultimately brings the, the revealing of the nature of God to a situation and the power of God released in that situation. And that's how we're supposed to live. A peacemaker lays himself down, crucifies his flesh, doesn't give in to his own desires and plans and purposes, actually finds out what the purpose of the Lord is and says, okay, Lord, use me as you wish, and goes into a situation that might even cost him something, even as Jesus, it cost him his life, to bring the power and the presence of God in that situation. He's describing people who will run into the fray to bring the power of the cross. You know, we go, blessed are the peacemakers. Oh, they're sweet. They're just nice little people. No, he's talking about people that run into the challenge. Not because they're trying to look cooler for their own praise. They're laying their life down for others. Look at Romans 8. He talks about the difference between being led by the spirit and led by the flesh Living by the flesh is death. The mindset on the flesh is death. The life on the spirit is uh, the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Verse thirteen: For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you live by the flesh, you will die. Now look at verse fourteen. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Well, verse 14 is what verse 13 is talking about. He makes verse 13, he says, living by the flesh and and, and not by the Spirit and you'll die, but living by the Spirit and crucifying the flesh and you'll live. Well, the verse 14 where it says, as many as are led by the Spirit, that's a summary statement of verse 13. Being led by the Spirit is crucifying the flesh saying no to your personal preferences and your desires and what you would want and saying yes to what God wants. Saying yes to his action in your life. So verse 14, as many as are led by the Spirit, is putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And then he gives this little phrase, these are the sons of God. We'll look at verse 9 of of Matthew 5 again. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The issue of being one that's a son of God, a daughter of God, has everything to do. Yes, understanding our sonship. Yes, understanding the love of the Father. Yes, yes, yes. But it has everything to do with crucifying the flesh and its lusts and embracing a life lived in the Spirit. It's what Paul gives us. In 2 Corinthians, in in chapter 6, in the beginning of 7, he says, If we will cleanse ourselves from all filthiness and defilement of the flesh, perfecting holiness and the fear of God, we have incredible promises where the Lord says, I will be a father to you. This issue of being a peacemaker is so violent. It's upheaval. It's saying yes to everything Holy Spirit wants. And, and, if, and when it's in opposition to our lusts, saying no to our lustful desires. It's such, such an interesting thought. Jesus makes peace in the most violent means you can imagine. The cross. <laughs> the peacemaker ministry is living the cross. In your marriage, it's living the cross. You want peace in your marriage? Lay down your life. That's what you're called to do. You want peace in your 
with your children, lay down your life. Lay your life down. Make peace. You're like, well, I just kind of thought peacemakers was like, you know, got two people that are mad at each other and you go, hey, you need to forgive him and you need to forgive him. Peacemaker. No, no, no. It's the most violent thing. It's the spiritual violence of embracing the cross day in and day out. Really embracing. This is not language, beloved. This is lifestyle. Really embracing it. Think it through, because this is what I have to do. Think it through. When was the last time you really wanted to do A, but you felt the Lord was telling you to do B, and you rejected doing A, and you chose B? That's hard. I mean, most often or not, we go, you're forgiving. I'm just going to jump in on A and for- ask for forgiveness instead of permission. Just, I, you, you love me. I, I, you're merciful. He goes, I'm calling you to be a peacemaker, to lay your life down. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. All right, last one, persecuted. Well... You didn't like pure in heart and peacemakers. <laughs> I'm not sure you're going to like persecuted. <laughs> Sometimes sitting under the word is just like getting a dental cleaning. You just feel like you're getting your stuff picked apart. You ever, you ever like gone to the dentist and, and you haven't been there in like two years and they just start digging all that stuff out? It hurts so bad. Sometimes that's what the word is like. It starts picking in areas that we haven't looked at in a while. The instrument of the word, dealing with the plaque of our hearts. All right, here we go. Put your football helmet on. Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. I am am reading the Bible, right? Okay, this is scripture, right? Okay. Come on now. Let's love the word. Matthew 5, 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad when they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. When was the last time somebody lied about you purposefully? You knew it was a lie, they knew it was a lie, and you got excited about it. You know what our, here's, here's what it boils down to. You know what our problem is? Our problem is this value system is so different from the one that we live by, we can almost not hear it. Now, come on. This is Jesus' value system, guys. And we're so used to living a Western version of Christianity that's perpendicular to this value system. It's like we don't even know how to deal with it when we see it. He goes, rejoice and be exceedingly glad when they lie about you and say all sorts of evil stuff about you falsely for my name's sake. He goes, why? Great is your reward in heaven. 
He goes, you are going to get eternal rewards in a major way. You're going to get a massive eternal reward. Rejoice through the persecution. Rejoice and be glad. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now here's the thing about this value that you got to get. This is critical. This is not about the one minute it takes for you to sort of, you know, have the person say the thing about you, you know, and, and you get that one moment and you go, ow, that really hurts. And they go, yeah, you're evil. And you go, but I'm not. I love Jesus. I go, Ugh. it's not about that one 60 second encounter. You know what it's about? Because if it were about that, you could go out, be obnoxious, just start yelling Jesus' name in all sorts of places, get a whole bunch of persecution, and load up on eternal rewards. You could take the first plane to Saudi Arabia in the Mecca and go, Jesus, 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 and you're just, you're just banking the whole time. That's not what this is about. This is about... Not the one minute when the guy, you know, we go, I will be a martyr for Jesus, just so long as it happens like instantly. I don't want any torture stuff. I'll be a martyr if they can just do that, like, poof, real fast, guillotine, poof, you know, the bullet. I'm the, I'm the bullet martyr. That's who I am. We imagine it's about the, the two seconds it takes to get, you know, to actually die. But the value is perseverance through the persecution. Because if it were simply about getting persecuted, you could go get persecuted right now. You could just go declare Jesus in Mecca and you'd be instantly persecuted. Now, this is about living your life hungering for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Okay? Living your life hungering for righteousness and incurring persecution through hungering for righteousness, and staying faithful to Jesus through the persecution. It's not about the one second it takes to get persecuted. It's about the life that says yes and doesn't pull back on the declaration of Christ, the living of a life of righteousness. It's about the life that you're sitting there and you're going through the fire. And they're saying, you need to calm down. You need to stop talking about Jesus. You're in a cult. You're, you know, whatever you are, you're a freak. It's about saying, you know what? I'm so sorry you feel that way. But if it's between your opinion and Jesus, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to live for him. I'm not going to calm down. I'm not going to cool off. I'm not going to back up. Blessed are the persecuted. The idea is those that will stay faithful in their declaration and their proclamation of the name of Jesus, faithful in their heart and their commitment in walking out the cross, faithful to serving the Lord with abandonment, faithfully living for Him, incurring persecution. Blessed are the persecuted. It's not about the one minute It's about the 25 years. It's not about the guy that gets martyred and that one second where he gets martyred. It's about the 25 years of character assassination where he lived for Jesus and got called every name in the book, made all sorts of fun of and lies about him, and they they smeared him publicly, and he stayed faithful to the Lord through the long haul. That's what this is about. Staying faithful to the end. 
Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are you when they say all sorts of evil against you falsely, when they revile you. And you say yes and yes again and again and again and you don't pull off of it. The issue of persecution is about faithfulness to Jesus when the heat is on, beloved. Not when we're all here happy in the, in the service. All of us will stand up for Jesus right now. What about when they're lying about you publicly? What about when they're kicking you out of the synagogues in the first century as they did to those believers? What about when they're taking your job from you? Those men and women, they lost their livelihoods because they kept their, their testimony to Jesus. What about when, quote unquote, civil liberties are taken away if you declare you're a Christian? That's what this is talking about. You don't think that he knew that he was, what he was talking to them about? They were living in, in uh, Rome-ruled Israel. Think about it. If the Pharisees didn't like it, the Romans were surely not going to like it. There was going to be nowhere for them to be accepted. They were going to have to stay faithful to Jesus through all of it. Blessed are you. When you're persecuted for righteousness, yours is the kingdom. Christianity was never supposed to be about being popular to the masses. Jesus was murdered. All the disciples were murdered for their testimony in Jesus. We just don't understand this in the West. It's been so easy for us. We've got churches on every corner. We can pick and choose whatever kind of Bible teaching we want. We can approach the word like a buffet. There's no standard. We don't have to, you know, we don't have to live any kind of way. You can go to this church, cause a bunch of mess, and just next week, go to the next church. You you, you know what I'm saying? Our version of Christianity is so different. This version that Jesus was saying was, there's going to be a testimony that's going to get you in trouble. He's telling them. He said, blessed are you and you're persecuted for righteousness. When? You're going to live a lifestyle that's going to get you in trouble. First sermon. We've promised everybody a rose garden. Just come to Jesus. It's going to all get better. It's going to give you peace and happiness and joy. It's going to pay off your debt. If you want to pray real hard, he'll give you a new Lexus. We have have preached a false gospel. When you come to Jesus, it will not get easier. He promised it will get more difficult. He said, if you live righteously, you'll be persecuted. Be glad about that part. (laughs) It's the only one of the valleys that said, when that happens, get happy. I, my, my leadership team knows, <laughs> this is going on the internet, so they'll probably, now they'll do it to me. But they know I'm looking to be called out on Heretic Hunter websites and say he's wicked. I, I'm Because look- I want to go, thank you, Lord, I've arrived in that last value. I want to bless those guys. I'm going to send them some pizzas and cookies. I'm just going to bless those guys. It hadn't happened yet. I'm just ready, but it just hadn't quite happened yet. 
A couple weeks ago, they said, look, this is a bad article, and your name's mentioned. But it wasn't bad. they didn't mention me bad. It was just you know, a paragraph there and a paragraph there, and my name was in it. It was like, oh, just missed. <laughs> hey, man, bless. Your reward is great. We don't understand this. It's about the life lived out that causes persecution because you're righteous, not because you're obnoxious. Come on. A lot of times Christians just get so, you know, locked in on one little thing and they just get obnoxious about it. That's not the point. You, You don't have to get obnoxious. Jesus is a stone of offense. He's a, he's, a, he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Yeah, look, you, you don't have to, to be obnoxious. It's, it, he's obnoxious enough. He's the guy that overturned the tables and the temples and all that. He's plenty obnoxious. You say yes to him and live righteously, it's coming. It's coming. Stay faithful through it. Stay faithful through it. Two verses and I'm ending. 1 Peter 2, 19. Look at this. I'm going to read the NIV because it just smooths out the language. It just makes it so clear. For it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. In other words, the first, the first, in verse 20, he goes, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it? I mean, you deserve that. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To, are you all ready? To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Am I reading the Bible? Beloved, if we got saved under some other guise, some other promise, he's going to give you a rose garden, you might want to re-sign up under this version. To this you were called. Christ suffered it. As an example, as an example to follow in his steps. We've taught it. He suffered so we don't have to. The Bible teaches it. He suffered so you'll be able to. And it's a good thing. That's what the Bible teaches. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. These verses, and verse 24 is the same. It's talking about the suffering that Christ went through. So we're able to. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you're healed. And by his grace, you're enabled to stay faithful through persecution and suffering. Last verse, Revelation 13, verse 7 and verse 10. Talking about at the end of the age, talking about Antichrist. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. 
And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Verse 10, if anyone is to go into captivity, this is now talking about believers. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity, he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword, he will be killed. Look, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. This is New Testament Christianity. Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom. It's not about the moment. It's about the lifestyle of righteousness that incurs persecution, that incurs people lying about you, that incurs all sorts of assaults, that even incurs martyrdom. We, can, we have no palate for this. Beloved, there's more martyrs in the world today than ever before in the history of the church. And in the West, we're so dull and blind to that. But the New Testament promises it. He said, you're going to get on board with me? No problem. Take up your cross. He goes, follow me. He goes, if you love your life more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. Those guys weren't imagining that their cross equaled a little challenge at work. They knew that their cross equaled their life. This is the authentic value system of the kingdom. This is the one that we need to sign up for. This is the Jesus that we need to say yes to. And where we've said yes to a lesser Jesus or some other version, I want to encourage you, I want to call you to say yes to the real one. The one who promises challenges will come, persecutions will come if you'll live righteously. The one that calls you to live as a peacemaker, living your life down, for in that is revelation of God. The one that calls us to live purely on the inside and not just the out. Amen? All right, let's stand. Oh, the gospel of the kingdom is so crazy that God would save us who are so unworthy of salvation. We've committed treasonous acts against God, loved sin and hated God. And yet in mercy, he's delivered us and set us free. And now he calls us to live the value system of this kingdom. Here's the thing, beloved. The born again spirit has the capacity to live these values. When you got saved, the power of the Holy Spirit making your spirit alive, God coming and living inside of you, gave you the capacity to say yes to this value system. Now it's us. We've got to say yes or no. And this is Jesus. This value system, this is him. All right, let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit.